Hey guys, we are in our series, as you just saw, Embracing Exile. Man, that sermon bumper gets me every time. It gets me jazzed up for what God has called us to do in this city, in this world, for His kingdom. And, and it, just in that sermon bumper, you see like, our destination has shifted, right? We're coming from heaven. Jesus did that and he made a way for us to do that. And we are also doing that in this world. So that's why we are in what Peter calls exile. We're exiles, we're in a foreign land among a foreign people and we live in a certain way accordingly. And that's the kingdom. And, and, and Jesus talks about this all through the Sermon on the Mount and how we're supposed to live. And that's what this passage we're gonna go through today is, is really about. So what we're about to do is a little, bit, a little bit of biblical theology, a little bit of cultural commentary, and then just biblical exegesis and application to our situation here today. So let's, let's jump into the passage this morning uh, because we, it's, it's a large one. We got a lot to go through. So um, he says, finally, and, and he gets to this point because because he's talked about all these things leading up to here. And he's about to talk about certain characteristics of the community. You know, in, in my family, we have this thing with Missy and I and our girls. We have two daughters, Emerson and Reagan. And, uh, and uh, we have this thing in our family when one of the girls does something, uh, we point to them and we point to each other. And one of our girls, Reagan, she looks more like Missy. She has, you know, lighter hair, lighter eyes, lighter complexion. And one of our girls, Emerson, looks more like me, darker hair, darker eyes, darker complexion. Uh, but actually, and this is a bit probably reductionistic and simplistic, they're, they're, a lot of their personality traits are switched. So a lot of, a lot of uh, Reagan's personality is like mine. A lot of Emerson's is like Missy's. And, uh, and I mean, it's, it's a little bit mixed, but uh, you, you get the point. And so when, when they do something, definitely with the personality, we point to them and, when they, and then we point to each other and, and they do the same thing. And we had this like little thing where, where we recognize the traits in each other. And so as we go through this passage, what I want you to see as, as Peter's about to give us these first five characteristics is that, is that uh, if we're God's community, we will have God's characteristics. And, and if we're in God's family, we'll look like him, we'll look like God. And Peter's about to show us what that looks like for us. And not just what those characteristics are, but how to live them out. So he says, finally, finally, we get to this point, he's saying, finally, because of all this, chapters one, two, and, and part of three, all of you, all of you have unity of mind. What he means there basically is, is be like-minded, right? I mean, it's pretty simple, be unified. Karen Jobes, who, who uh, writes this phenomenal commentary on First Peter, she says like-mindedness is basically the defining characteristic of the community of faith for Christians. Because if you look at Christianity, it unites all races, all ethnicities, socioeconomic uh, uh, disparities. Like, like it, it the gospel transcends all disparities. It transcends all boundaries. And guys, if you look at other, other religions, other faiths, um, there, uh, there, there's, a, there's a mix here or there, but none of them compared to the, the breadth of Christianity, right? The, the days are long gone when, when Christianity was a white, 
person's faith or, or a European one or a Western one. The, the Christian church is thriving in the global south. It's thriving in places in the world where, where, um, where people aren't white. And, and, and so uh, the, the Christian faith is one of unity of mind, of, of like-mindedness. Just even think of our church, guys. Even our church, Trinity Life Church, this church here in Toronto, yes, a global city, but guys, there's churches in our city that are monolithic, that aren't, that, that don't look like this. And our church does. Our church is so diverse. It's, it's diverse socioeconomically. It's diverse uh, ethnically. It's diverse in background. It's diverse in nationality. All those things. And only the gospel can bring us together. Like I only hang out with some of you because of the Spirit of God in you. <laughs> only the gospel can bring us together, right? That's unity. That's unity of mind. Uh, sympathy, he says. This, this word is, is understanding. Just in the passage above this, he says, husbands, live with your wives in this understanding way. He's talking about understanding here as well. That's, that's uh, uh, this word, sympathy, means understanding. It's, it's looking, from, looking from someone else's point of view, seeing from someone else's point of view. He talks about brotherly love as a third characteristic. Uh, and so not just love, but this familial love this brotherly love, this family love. Remember, he's just said, we're all co-heirs. We're all joint heirs of this grace of life. So, so we're all together in this, this brotherly love, a tender heart. I've talked about this word before in the Greek. It's this, it's this really interesting word um, that actually uh, can be translated as compassion. And it literally means healthy intestines. Like that's what the word literally means. It means uh, your intestines are healthy because when you feel compassion, where do you feel it? Oh man, you feel it here in your gut. And, and he talks about, or it's translated here as a tender heart, right? Uh, so you feel it in your heart, in your guts. Uh, this, this, uh, this, this word is, is good splunkness, is, is good intestines, you, you splunkness. So uh, these, these healthy, good intestines in your torso here. And then he says, a humble mind. A, a humility. And when I think about all these characteristics, um, you know, you have the torso, the heart involved here, you have the mind, you have, uh, and when I think of humility, I think of, of getting on your knees before the Lord. The whole body is involved here, guys. The entire body, the entire body of Christ is involved here. Now, here's the thing about these characteristics. You, you might say, if you're watching this, if you're, if you're uh, listening to this, uh, and you're not a part of the church, you're not a follower of Jesus, you might say, well, that's not very unique. What's, what's distinct about that? Our society loves these things. We want to, people to be more unified. We want people to be more understanding and sympathetic. We, we desire love. Like, we all agree that's, that's the chief virtue. Uh, yeah, compassion. Our, our city loves compassion and, and our society loves that. Humility is the only one where it's, it's becoming a, a virtue again, uh, but humility is one of those that uh, may not be as looked highly upon. But, but those five characteristics, I think we'd all agree, follow Jesus or not follow Jesus, like, those are good things in our society. What's distinct here is how Peter's telling us how to live them out. So those characteristics may not be distinct, but how you live them out as a follower of Jesus is distinct. And, and we're about to get into that. Uh, and, and that's because, well, you, you, you're gonna see, but 
you know, even in our society, guys, even in our culture, even though we say we value those things, even in the, in the, the broader culture, not the Christian church culture, even though we say we value those things, how do we actually live those out? Like, when's the last time you were on social media and saw how people were living out sympathy and understanding, trying to see from someone else's point of view? Any, every time I'm on social media, it's polarized, boom, boom. You have this person on this side, you have this person on this side. If you say anything to the contrary, and, and even if you say it was saying, hey, have you considered this? Automatic defensiveness, right? So our, our, our culture as a whole is getting more and more polarized. Well, hey, guess what, guys? Guess what, church people? Guess what, people who call themselves Christians? You look the exact same way. We're looking more and more like the culture in this, where we're so polarized. I mean, just, just look at our sermon from last week. You know, some of you guys probably weren't satisfied where we ended on that because you wanted this or you wanted this, right? And we're saying, no, maybe there's a third way. Maybe there's a way instead of confronting each other, we converse with each other. Maybe there's a way to move past confrontation into true conversation, All right? That's what we want to get to. We want to redefine our confrontation. It's not that confrontation is bad, but we've made it bad. We want to redefine that confrontation into conversation. We're going to see how Peter asks us to do that here in this passage. So he says, you live it out this way. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Ah, do not repay evil for evil. That's the first thing he starts with, guys. If you could start there, I mean, if you could do that, you're well on your way to living out the kingdom, to embracing exile in a way that is going to shine your good deeds before others, that they would see, see God and want relationship with our God. But we don't do that. We, we have a difficult time not repaying evil for evil. And you say, oh, well, I, I don't actually do that. I mean, and I, I think we probably do that more. At least that's our flesh, guys. That, that is, Peter's not addressing this because we don't have an issue with it. He's talking about it because we do have an issue with it. We all do. This is our sinful nature. I mean, even think about our culture at large, the, the movies, the books, all, all that that are written. Vengeance is a key, is, is a key principle, right? Like, think of... If you've seen any Liam Neeson movie, it's, it's all about vengeance and, and revenge. And we love it, right? We're like, yeah, go, go, go get him. If you uh, have read classic literature, I mean, The Count of Monte Cristo, one of the uh, most celebrated classics of all time, it's all about vengeance. If you, uh, basically, I mean, you can go throughout culture through histories and, and there's so much about uh, getting your eye for an eye. The problem is, we normally, instead of going eye for an eye, we go eye for an arm, eye for uh, your legs, eye for, you know, and, and so Jesus, when he comes on the scene in, in Matthew chapter five, he says, you've heard it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but let's um, put that aside for a second. When someone actually reviles you or does evil against you, why don't you try turning the other cheek and see what happens? Because Here's the thing, guys. You may say, why don't we pay evil for evil? But do you shove that down in your heart so that it becomes a root of bitterness and, 
and, uh, and anger and resentment towards that person, well, just because you didn't do evil to them doesn't mean you're not perpetuating evil in your heart and to them in your mind. Because Peter says the only way to combat this is to do what? Bless. Bless, for to that you were called. So you bless, you don't curse, you bless. He says you have the power to actually break the cycle of sin. Guys, you have the power to bless, you have the power to break the curse, the cycle of sin. You could, you could repay evil for you, but where does it stop? I was watching this thing this, this past week about this, this, this sports program, and, and it's talking about LeBron James and Chris Paul, and there's a hard foul, and, and, and uh, he said, is LeBron James gonna, is, he's, he gonna get Chris Paul back for that hard foul? And he's like, oh, he'll get him back on the court. And the other guy said, well, what if Chris Paul then gets him back? And he's like, yeah, then we'll be all good. And he's like, no, what if he gets him back? And, and he's like, well, then it'll just keep on going. He's like, no, guys, that's the problem. It just keeps on going, right? We, we, we love the Holy Land as a church, and we engage there as a church, and you've seen that in our Glocal Gift campaign. You've seen that in our, our videos. You've seen that in our blogs. We, 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 we work in the Holy Land and, and, and try, to, try to bring blessing to the, to the land and to the people there, and they're stuck in this cycle, of, of just eye for an eye going back for, it's actually eye for an arm, eye for legs, right? And Peter says the only way to break it is to bless. Guys, this is the Peter, the same guy who said, you know, if they're gonna take Jesus, I'm gonna take an ear off this guy when he's really probably wanted his head, right? And now he says, no, that was the wrong way. We're, to, we're called to bless. That's how you break the cycle here. That's how, and you guys have that power to bless instead of curse. So then he says here, not only that, not only blessing your adversaries, but be zealous for good. So this is verses 10 through 14. He says, for whoever does, and Paul or Peter is quoting uh, Psalm 34 here. And he's already done that back in chapter two of this book where he says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So that's, that's behind this. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, you're gonna act this way. He says, so, you des whoever desires to live, to, sorry, to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit, let him turn away from evil and do good. Remember, we've talked about doing good and what that means. It's, it's a, there's a larger societal implications for that. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Guys, aren't those the things that you want? We want peace, right? We want goodness. We want these things from God. Here's your choice. You can do that. You can seek those things, seek peace, pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Or you cannot do that. You can choose evil. You can choose to curse. You can choose to repay evil for evil. You can choose not to love your enemies. You can choose not to love your neighbor. And this is what happens. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, Peter says. And he says this, guys, he's like, hey, if you're doing good, if you're zealous for what is good, what harm can come to you? Who's going to harm you? Be zealous for good. Trust in the Lord's goodness, trust in the kingdom. 
and, and the principles there that Jesus has given us. There's no one there to harm you. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Here's the thing, guys. This, when he talks about fear here, basically this could be translated as don't fear what they fear. Because underlying all of this, underlying your desire for an eye for an eye, for vengeance for revenge, underlying our, our need to get someone back, underlying our, our, our uh, resentment and our bitterness and our anger is fear. And it's because you fear the same things that the rest of the world fears. And we've talked about fear a lot in this passage because Paul, uh, sorry, Peter focuses that fear onto God. It is the essential motivator for all of your relationships, the fear of God. And so he says here, don't fear what they fear. They fear retribution. They fear that if they don't do that, you're going to do something against them. But no, you have the power to bless. You have the power to break the cycle of sin. You have the power to love. You have the power to have understanding and sympathy. You have the power to have compassion. You have the power to, to show like-mindedness and unity of mind. Guys, those five characteristics aren't just defining the community for the community. They're defining the community because they're God's characteristics so that we can have conversation with the world, so that we can be witnesses out there, so that they can see who we are, our good deeds, and glorify not us, glorify God on the day of visitation. Ah, if we could only not fear what they fear, if we could only place our fear in the Lord Jesus Christ and not be afraid of the things they're afraid of. He says, because then you'll, you can even suffer for righteousness sake and guess what? You will be blessed. Not only that, honor Christ. How do we do that? In verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. We've talked about this before. Michelle preached on this. How do we honor Christ? We be, whole, we, we be holy as he is holy. He says back in verse 16, you shall be holy for I am holy. That is your identity in Christ that you are holy. You don't have to strive for it. You are it in Christ. And, and always, in verse 15, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Oftentimes we build our whole apologetics ministries and, and, and things off of this. But guys, this passage is in the midst of suffering. It's in the context of suffering. He's just saying, you're suffering for righteousness sake. And when you do that, just be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Because why would you be suffering? Why would you put up with that? Those are the questions that people will give you. Instead, we've, we've taken it out of that context. And we've said, okay, we got to go defend the faith, which is we got to go on offense and we got to go confront people about, the, about Jesus and, the, and, and, and we got to confront their lives. And we got to give them the truth. And we got to force it down the throats. No, guys, we got to move from confrontation to conversation. And basically, according to this passage, if you're not suffering for your faith, you don't even have a right to defend your faith. If you're not suffering for your faith, for righteousness sake, I don't even want to hear you defend your faith. That's the crux of this passage. Peter says, when you suffer for righteousness sake 
and people ask you about the hope that is in you, well, you offer a defense and you do it how? In gentleness and in respect. In gentleness and in respect. How much of our apologetics is built on the opposite of those, on brashness and we know it all? And how much of it is built on gentleness and respect? That's how we have conversations with people. It's, it's, it's God saying in Isaiah chapter one, come, let's reason together. Let's talk about this here. Let's do this together. Let's, let's speak together, guys. We wanna be a church. We wanna be a community. We wanna be a people who when someone says, hey, I don't know if I believe what you believe, we say, let's talk about that. You know what? Because I don't have all the answers and I've struggled through these things as well. We remember our journey and we invite people along into it. We don't say we have all the answers, we know everything. Guys, that's not faith. Faith isn't knowing everything. Faith is this, this trust in things that aren't seen. You know, it's, it's, this, it's, it's taking this evidence of things that aren't seen and walking forward not by sight. We wanna invite people along into that. We wanna help them, we wanna reason with them. So, he says here, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, not so that if you're slandered, when you're slandered. How many of you have been slandered for your faith? If you're a follower of Jesus, I guarantee you have, even if it wasn't to your face. And take, take hope in that, that you're living for Jesus. And, and if, you're, if you haven't been slandered for your faith, maybe, maybe um, you need to reevaluate some things. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, that, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't scare you because as a follower of Jesus, we're not following most of the ways of this world. We're trying to redeem them. And the enemy is against those things. There's a spiritual darkness there. We'll, we'll talk about that later in this series. So he says, when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So here he's not talking about like us shaming other people, okay? Don't, don't think vengeance, okay, now I get my vengeance, now I get my revenge and, and I get to shame that person. No, we're not talking about that. That is not, that, uh, this, this is an honor-shame culture. And so when, when people are honored, people are, uh, there's, sorry, when, yes, when people are honored, uh, it just automatically puts the reviler, the slanderer to shame because you're blessing, you're, instead of cursing, you are, you, are, uh, you are not reviling others, you're not per returning persecution, you're making peace, he says. So, so just that will, will earn you honor and, and it will look like shame to the others. It will put them to shame. It's a passive thing. It's not an active thing that we do. And he says here in verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Here in verse 17, he's not saying that God's will is for you to suffer for your faith. Now, Jesus did promise it. Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna suffer, so I'm, I'm sorry, but that's gonna be the case for you. You're also going to suffer. And we saw that back in chapter two, where, where he talks about Jesus here, 
Verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example, a stencil for you to follow. You're follow in that stencil. And he suffered and he goes on, he says, his wounds, his, his, his body on the tree, he suffered, he was reviled, all those things. So guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, church, that's what we've signed up for. We've signed up for that life. So don't, don't seek a life of comfort and pleasure. If you want that life, do follow the ways of the world, right? And you'll see it doesn't, the ways of the world don't have that either. They don't offer that. Um, if you want eternal comfort in Christ for eternity, if you want shalom and peace and wholeness, you find those things in Christ. You find those things through, through living out the kingdom because Jesus came to give us this abundant life. So he's not saying here that God's will is necessary for you to suffer. That's going to happen though. But he says God's will is for you to do what's right. It's for you to do good. That's, that's a theme throughout this entire book. It's for you to do good. It's for you to do what is right. And when you do what is right, unfortunately in this world, it will bring suffering. And he says, but it's better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. Those are basically your two choices. You're gonna suffer either way. You can suffer for doing good and building up something that's eternal and everlasting, or you can suffer for doing evil. And build, and, and build into things or tear things down that won't last. And so as, as Peter has been taking us through this passage here and showing us how to live out unity of mind, compassion, sympathy, uh, brotherly love, and uh, what's, the, what's the last one here? Uh, humble mind, humility, of course I would forget that one. Uh, humility, those five things, he says, they're lived out in a certain way as a community of faith. And guys, blessing is key here. We're called to bless. And if we can do that, we won't be concerned about confronting people. We'll be invi- we will invite people into conversation with us. We will converse with them. We'll create an environment in the church, outside of the church, in our communities, in your neighborhoods, at your workplace, where people wanna just have a conversation with you to learn, to know why you do what you do, to know who you are. Guys, anytime I'm around unbelievers in this city or around the world, that's one of the first questions I get because I'm living this out. They're saying, why? Why are you doing this? Our volunteers in St. James, they're like, they're doing this for free? Like they made that whole graphic thing for us for free? They volunteered this for free. Like they gave up their, why? Why do they do that? If you've been in, if you've worked through the New Common, I'm sure you've had that question. Why do you do this? Guys, that's our opportunity to give a defense for the hope that is in us with gentleness and respect. That's our opportunity to say, because of Jesus. When someone at work asks you, why do you treat me like this? Why do you treat others kindly? Why do you treat others with compassion? Why aren't you yelling like they're yelling? Why are you a different kind of boss? Why are you a different kind of supervisor? Why are you a different kind of employee? You say, well, because of these things that Jesus has taught me. He's taught me these things and I wanna multiply those things and multiply blessing. Guys, in the scriptures, blessing is all throughout. But God begins in Genesis one with blessing us, with blessing 
uh, humankind, with blessing men and women. He creates us in the image of God. And then in Genesis 12, he calls Abraham and he blesses Abraham to, be a ble- to create a people of God, to be a blessing to the nations. And then in Genesis 47, Jacob, uh, you know, whose name is Israel, he actually starts blessing enemies and potential enemies. Now, now Pharaoh at this point is, is not their enemy, but he's going to be, he's, set, he's setting a precedent here. And, and Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And then, and then in Judges chapter five, you have Deborah who blesses, who blesses Jael for rescuing God's people. Then in Ruth chapter, Ruth chapter three, Boaz blesses Ruth, a Moabitess, an, an enemy of Israel. Ruth, uh, Ruth is blessed by Boaz, who is a son of Israel. And then, and then in Isaiah uh, chapter 19, God, uh, God blesses Egypt and Assyria, like uh, sworn enemies against Israel, right? These known enemies. And then in Zechariah, uh, God's own people have become, have become a curse, but God blesses them. And then you get to Jesus in, in Matthew 5 and and Sermon on the Mount, he says, bless, bless instead of curse, right? He says, don't just love your neighbor, love your enemies as well. Turn the other cheek. Luke 23, Jesus on the cross in the middle of his suffering, what does he do? He blesses. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And he blesses them with forgiveness in the midst of his suffering. When they're reviling him, when they're murdering him, he does this. In, in, in Romans, we see God restoring the people of God uh, with, with blessing. In Galatians chapter three, it says that Jesus took on our curse. He, he wasn't even cursed. He took on our curse to be a blessing so that we would be a blessing. And then first Peter here, like we just talked about, he's calling us to bless. And then in Revelation, you see at the end of the Bible that the nations are gathered. So uh, Romans 12 is coming to fruition, right? Uh, sorry, Genesis 12 and Genesis 1 and the nations are gathered, all tribes, all nations, all tongues, and we are blessing God. So Bible starts with God blessing us and ends with us blessing him. Like, oh, how amazing is that, guys? How, how amazing that you have the power to break the cycle of sin, to break the curse that came upon this world because of our sin. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And when you do that, God points at you and then he points at himself. When you humble yourself before others, he says, yeah, that's my son. That's my daughter. And he points at himself. When you have unity of mind, he says, yep, that's me. When you feel compassion for others and a tender heart, he says, that's me. when you seek to understand someone else's point of view, when you build an environment for conversation, he says, I did that. I see you and that's me in you. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, walk forward in that, those characteristics, walk forward in blessing. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we invite you into that. God's image is in you. He wants to restore that in you. So when you live out in this way, he says, yep, you're mine.
I'm your God and you are my people. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your encouragement, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your justice. May we honor you by being worthy of the calling we have in Christ Jesus, by living these things out, embracing exile, creating a space for conversation so that others can see you and glorify you. In your name.